0: Greetings, Grace Fellowship Church. This is Ryan Zellner. So glad to be back with you. Um, I have the great privilege and opportunity to give you some announcements. So uh, here they are. As you may know, Good Friday is coming up April 2nd. We have a 5 p.m. service. There's going to be childcare for those under the age of 5. Um, and we will stream and put the online pre-recorded video out as well. So whether you're at home, you can watch it with us and join us that way, or if you want to come in person, we have those two options. It will be out on the patio, and Easter is just two days after that. So April 4th, we will have three services this year, as well as the pre-recorded video. And so um, we have eight, we have 9.30, and 11.00. So uh, the one thing that I will note is that we anticipate a lot of people coming out for Easter, and so please register, please register, please register. Said it three times. Um, it's really important. Um, the second service has been uh, overflowing every week recently. We've even added more chairs, and we still have a little bit room in the 830 service that's the normal service, but for... Easter, again, I will say that we will have an 8, a 9.30, and an 11 a.m. So please take note of those times. It's coming up very quickly, but I'm excited that we're still in the Kingdom series. And as we join with Dave, uh, uh, he has more that he's just going to open up and share with us with the parable of the talent. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we wanna be faithful. We wanna be faithful with the time that you have given us here on this earth. We wanna be faithful with um, our skills that you've given us, with our money, with our relationships. We wanna be faithful to you and to you alone, God. Um, Would you order our desires? Would you help us um, see things from your point of view? Um, Give us new eyes to see, an eternal perspective, Lord Jesus. And would you work uh, through this message today? Would you touch our hearts? Lord, thank you that we get to worship in this way, that we get to read your word, and thank you that you are on the throne no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: void restored you will find him there in every turning he will prepare you with grace upon
2: continuing our series on the kingdom parables and looking at Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. So this is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Join along with me. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord.
3: This morning we continue in our Kingdom series, uh, and in chapter 25 of Matthew, where Jesus is laying out these three parables of the future kingdom, the, the kingdom that will come at his return, and how we can live our lives now, In light of that future return. So last week we looked at a probably a lesser-known parable where Jesus presents himself as a groom who will return and we want to be ready we want to be waiting lighting the way when he comes back to greet him and this morning we look at probably a much better known parable what many of us know as the parable of the talents or in my translation the parable of the bags of gold. And, you know, the general premise, I think, is pretty easy to understand in this one. You have a wealthy master landowner who is going on a journey, and we're told in verse 19, verse 19 that he's gone for a long time. And so he entrusts his, his wealth, his estate, to his servants. He entrusts a lot to them. Uh, and he says, I want you to invest this so that my wealth grows over time. And after a long time, he returns, and there's account an accounting for how did you— Deal with my stuff. Did you use what I gave you and invest it so that my kingdom has grown? And so I think the parallels are pretty obvious. Jesus is clearly the master in this story. He has gone on a journey now for a long time. He was here. He's left. It's been two thousand years. And in the meantime, he entrusts his kingdom to his servants. Originally, those first twelve disciples, and then of course us today. He says, "I'm, I'm." offering you part in this kingdom, and I'm entrusting this to you. You are my plan in the meantime for how my kingdom is going to grow in this world. And one day he will return, and there will be an accounting. How did you use what I gave you to further my kingdom, to invest in ways that my kingdom has grown? So I think last week had more of an internal sense to it, that we want to be internally ready and prepared by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, having this pure and simple devotion to Him. And today's passage, for me at least, has more of an external uh, perspective to it. How can we go out into this world and invest what God has given us so that we might expand His kingdom until He returns? And in the parable, of course, it's sums of money um, that are used. And so we could think about how do we invest our money in ways that expand Jesus' kingdom. But I think the parable would apply to anything, not just our our money, but our possessions and even our gifts and our talents, our resources, our relationships, our experiences, our, our connections. How do we use our lives, essentially, and invest them in ways that are growing Jesus' kingdom, expanding his kingdom until he returns? So what I'd like to do today is just offer what I see as three basic principles that come from this passage that are quite simple and yet I think quite radical as well. So here they are. First one is this, principle one, um, everything we have is actually God's, okay? Everything we have is actually God's, right? In the story, these three guys, they aren't owners, they are servants. The master has entrusted his stuff to them. So they are, we'd call them managers or Or stewards, but all the stuff that they're managing ultimately belongs to the master. And this may be the the most radical concept of all, but scripture regularly affirms this. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Now, of course, none of us thinks this way, right? (laughs) We we think, um, I have my stuff, I have my house and my car and my kids. Uh, and my PhD, and my talents, and my friends, my whatever. And we're always asking, what will I do with my stuff? And if we're feeling especially spiritual, we might even ask the question, how can I glorify God with my stuff? And I think Jesus says, actually, the reality is far more radical than that. It's actually this, in the end, it's none of your stuff. It's all God's stuff in the end. First Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says it this way, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? He's reminding us that really everything we have, if you trace that thing back far enough, that was a gift from God. Even if it's our our giftedness, our resources, you can trace everything back and ultimately it belongs to God and it will go back to God one, one day. And so I was just thinking this week, like of a thought experiment what if what if um, we could have a day where this happened you know you know those those property of shirts or like those property of stickers um, what if there was like a property of sign on everything that's part of our lives but it said property of God which is the truth what if you came home one day and on the front door there's this big Property of God sign, and you recognize, oh, I'm I'm walking into God's house. I'm going to spend time in God's house now. And you walk in, and if you have children in the home these time, you you see these little kids running around or bigger kids, and their shirts say Property of God, and you realize, oh, I'm I guess I'm a caretaker of God's children for a certain amount of time. And what if you could do that with your your gifts and your talents? It all said Property of God. What if you were to you know, get ready for bed and you, you look on your body and you're tattooed on your own body property of God, which Scripture says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What if you realized in a day, oh my goodness, I'm truly walking around in God's world making use of God's stuff. How would that impact how we deal with our lives, how we feel and think about our lives? Okay, so that's the first principle. Actually, in the end, it's all God's stuff. Uh, Second thing that I see, and I love this principle, is there's tremendous freedom given to these three servants in this passage in a couple ways. Um, First, there's tremendous freedom given in terms of how they choose to invest the master's property, okay? So uh, I don't know if you know this, but the master, he entrusts a ton of wealth to these three guys. So a talent or a bag of gold Scholars suggest in modern terms is close to a million dollars Okay, so these guys have been given one guy's been given one million two million three five million dollars So this is a ton of money He gives them lots of his money and he doesn't give them any specific Instructions on how to invest it. He doesn't micromanage them at all, right? Here's my money I'm gonna leave it to you now. I want you to to use it and invest it. How? You're my servants, I'm entrusting that to you. You figure it out. You go out there, but invest this money so that when I return, I, you know, I'll make a return when I come back. He he risks on them, he bets on them, and there's a lot of freedom given to how they do it. And that is the truth, I think, with Jesus, right? Jesus has entrusted his king to kingdom to us in some ways in this time. In some ways, we are his plan for how the how the kingdom expands in this world until he returns, which is kind of a scary thought. Um, but there's no, there's no blueprint, right, for, for how to do that. There's there's no like, here's exactly how I want you to use your life to glorify me and expand my kingdom. There's some general biblical principles. We know there's certain moral ways we're supposed to live. But really to the question of how do I use my one life to glorify God, there's not a real clear blueprint. There's tons of freedom in, how, in terms of how each of us do that. And that may either feel empowering to you or, or maybe frustrating, depending on how you're wired. But the truth is, there's a lot of freedom in terms of how we might use our lives to glorify God. And, and this is the point I think I love about the freedom. Within this, there's utter freedom from any comparisons with one another and others in our lives. And I love that. I mean, you notice in this passage, Um, He doesn't give the same sum of money to each guy, right? One, five, one, two, one, one, as it says, each according to his ability. So he recognizes different abilities. He doesn't give them the same amount, and he does not expect the same return from each one of them, right? When, When the second servant comes back to him and says, hey, you gave me two, I earned two more, the master doesn't say, why didn't you earn me five like my first servant? No, he says the exact same thing to the second servant that he did to the first servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. So he deals with each servant according to their abilities and according to their own unique circumstances. And so there's a freedom, I think, from from any comparison with others. And, And I just think that's such an important thing to remember because each one of us is created so uniquely, right? We're wired so differently, each of us comes from a, a very different family of origin that absolutely shapes who we are. We had different set of experiences. We've been each placed in our own unique circumstances. Some of us are married. Some of us are single. Some of us have children. Some of us don't. Some of us have had certain opportunities. Some of us have had these opportunities. We're gifted in very different ways. Some of us are good listeners. Some of us are leaders. Some of us are teachers. Some of us are servants. Some of us are managers. Some of us are very generous, right? There's all these differences. And the only question that matters for each one of us is this. How can I use my life, my unique life, to glorify God, to expand His kingdom, to further His kingdom until His return? And the question that does not matter in the least is this. How does my kingdom impact compare to that person's kingdom impact? Is mine more? Is mine less? Is mine more impressive? Is mine smaller? Is is mine, you know, what, whatever it might be, the master alone can answer that. Even the question of what does a significant life look like or or what does true impact look like? I don't even think as servants, we're even qualified to answer that question. The master alone can say to each one of us, you know, this is what I wanted for you. And that's all that should matter for you. And in the end, what's clear in this passage is that his definition of of an impactful, significant life is simply the word faithful right? He says to those two servants, well done, good and faithful servant. I love that he says, he doesn't say well done, good and savvy servant, or good and efficient servant, or good and even productive serv- servant, but well done, good and faithful servant. What I'm looking for in you is simply faithfulness with what I've given you and where I've placed you. You just worry about that. You can be totally freed from any comparisons with someone else who might, whose life might look more impactful than yours. It's not what it's about. It's about simple faithfulness to what I've called you into. And again, I think that's really freeing. So let me give you another thought experiment um, related to the second point. Um, and I've heard of churches that do something like this, but just imagine if, if Grace Fellowship, we gave $500 to every member of our church. So next week you receive in the mail 500 bucks. And we say, we just want you to spend this money. It's not your money, right? It's the church's money. But we want you to use this money in some way that will further God's kingdom. And we give you utter freedom to determine how to do that. Just think of the variety of things that you might do with $500. It'd be interesting to think of what you actually would do to make an impact for God's kingdom. So, for example, some of you, there might be, you know, organizations in the world that you are so passionate about that you think are doing great kingdom work. Your answer would be easy. I send that $5 off to that organization. I love what they're doing. Done. Great answer. Um, some of you might care about your neighborhood and say, you know, we're going to spend that 500 bucks on a block party for our street. Things are opening up this summer. Let's bring our neighbors together. We wanna to create community. We'll rent some bounce houses. We'll get a taco truck. We can spend that 500 bucks and we're gonna create community. We're gonna build a relationship with our neighbors. Um, that would be a great use of $500. Um, some of you might say, you know what, right now, if you're married, our marriage is really struggling. And we actually think the thing that's that would be most helpful and kingdom impactful, if I can put it that way, Is for us to get this strong our marriage is struggling and and we really need to strengthen our marriage and so we're gonna we're gonna go to a marriage conference over the weekend and spend $500 on that Um, some of you maybe would say hey you know what I want to rent rent billboard space on the 55 freeway and I want to put a sign up for however many months 500 bucks buys you that says Jesus loves you that's what I want to do someone might say I want to take my favorite spiritual book a book that changed my life impacted me I'm gonna buy 30 copies of that book And I'm going to give it to my 30 closest friends, and I'm going to ask them to read that book because it made such a difference in my life, and I hope it makes a difference in their life, okay? I could go on and on, and I imagine some of those ideas sound a lot better to you than others of them, but the reality is is each one of us would have some very unique way of using that money to further God's kingdom, and there's not a right answer. And that little thought experiment is a microcosm of our entire lives. Our lives are so unique. We're placed in such unique circumstances, and we're given freedom to go out and invest all that God has given us to further his kingdom. There's all sorts of freedom in how we do that, and there's freedom from any kinds of comparison. All right, so principle one, it's all God's anyway. Principle two, there's so much freedom in terms of how we invest. And then third and finally, this principle. I think it's the relationship with the master that makes all the difference in terms of how we approach this whole thing. And really, to me, the heart of this parable is the difference between the third servant and the first two servants. And let me just say, man, I I like um, I empathize with the third servant. Um, I relate to him. I mean, he, he kind of approaches this whole situation in a very cautious, fear-based, risk-averse kind of way. And honestly, I connect with all of that. <laughs> but as I've thought about this What he's up to versus the other two is is the key. And it's very clear that he has a very different view of his master than the other two servants. His view comes out in verse 24. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He experiences his master as hard, as harsh, as strong, as severe and very much as a shrewd businessman, a guy who can kind of just, you know, gather where he didn't scatter. And we all know people like that who have lots of money and they, they can just kind of make something happen out of nothing, right? They put very little in and they can just make it happen. So he, he, he experiences his master really as not a life-giving person to work for. sees him as harsh and shrewd. I think the other two servants view their master very differently. And we don't actually get their internal description of how they view him. We just see their actions. But I think they do see him very differently. And I think the passage would invite us to view this master differently. First off, um, he's a very generous master. I already talked about how much money he gives to his servants. So he's generous. Um, He's also very trusting, right? He entrusts a lot to them. And he's a joyful master. Twice in this passage, when he sees his servants, he says, I want you to enter into your master's happiness. So he's generous, he's joyful, he's trustful. All that to say they have a very different view of their master. And then this is something that struck me this week. I also think they have a very different view of their relationship with their master's kingdom. And here's what I mean by this. Um, The third servant he really doesn't take ownership in his his master's kingdom. Like, he's not bought in. He, He thinks of the world in this way. I have my kingdom, and my master has his kingdom. And those are two very different things. So even if I were to gain something for him, that doesn't help me very much. So here's how the third servant sees the situation. He thinks he has a master who's harsh and severe, and he thinks that his master's kingdom has nothing to do with him. And so really the whole situation is a lose-lose for him, right? Like, hey, even if I go out and work and I gain a return from a master, that that doesn't help me. I don't gain anything from that. That's his money, not mine. And if I lose his money, well, gosh, this guy's harsh and severe, and so he'll he'll you know penalize me. So it, it's a lose-lose. So the only good play for him is just to play it safe. I'm just going right, to bury the money, keep it safe. At least I can give it back. I don't lose anything. He doesn't lose anything. We're good to go. What he doesn't realize, I think, is that his master actually wants to share his kingdom with his servants. And that was, that was the key that hit me this week. I think there's a, this is a master who actually wants to share his kingdom with his servants. And that's what's so clear with the first two. When he returns and they give an accounting, what does he do? He puts them in charge of more. He says, I want you to share in more of my kingdom. And then he says, I want you to share in my happiness. See, my happiness is your happiness because my kingdom is your kingdom because you get to be a part of my kingdom. This is something we're doing together. I'm actually not just looking for servants. I'm looking for partners in this grand kingdom adventure. And so that makes all the difference in the world in terms of how these three servants approach their lives. And so to wrap this up, I think for us, in the end, it's not really about am I going to choose God's kingdom or choose my kingdom? I think the deeper truth is um, I don't have a kingdom anymore. (laughs) I think that's what Jesus invites us into. Like there's only his kingdom now, and I'm part of his kingdom. And so really the the cry and the prayer of my heart is your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. And when his kingdom grows in this world, when people come to know him, when people experience his goodness— and and there's there's growth, that's the thing that gets me excited because that's my kingdom. I'm a part of his kingdom. He has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness and has brought me into his kingdom. So there's only one kingdom and it's his, and I want to be a part of it. So I want to leave you with that picture that his kingdom is now your kingdom. And I want to leave you with this picture with this picture of your king who is generous, who is trusting who is not cautious, who is not fear-based, who is big and wild, and he's willing to take risks on little people like you and me. And he says, you're a part of my kingdom now. So go out and take what I've given you in your life and expand my kingdom. Be proactive, be creative. I can take some losses, right? You're gonna make mistakes, that's okay. I can, I can reap where I didn't, so losses I'm good with. But I want you to go out and do it, and there's freedom in how you do it. It's this invitation to abandon our little self-centered kingdoms and to enter into the adventure of God's grand kingdom, which is really what this world is all about. Creatively, proactively using whatever he's given us for his glory. So I invite you into that kingdom adventure.
1: Take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. Take my moments and who's in the highest. who's in Hosanna, Hosanna in the Lord, turn his face toward
3: Well, as always, we hope that you've been encouraged by this time and we would invite you to consider and discuss the reflection questions we'll put on the screens. And as you try to go out this week and use your life to glorify God, let me leave you with this great benediction from Paul. May our God count you worthy of his calling and may he by his power fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. May he do this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.